Good evening, and thank you for all coming out tonight on a very damp and cold evening. I'd like to continue this evening where Jim left off this morning. You would almost believe this was meticulous planning by the ministry committee that the two ceremonies would perfectly overlap. If you believe that, you haven't been at a ministry committee meeting. But no, the two do overlap, and we commence a series looking at the parables leading to the second coming of our Lord Jesus. I'd like to do a couple of readings with you before I engage with you in, a, in the conversation. I want you to go to Matthew 24, and Matthew 24 is a parallel passage from Luke, which Jim read to us this morning. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Jim went through it step by step, but I just want to highlight a couple of things as we move on, because Matthew 24 actually adds more than the book of Luke to what we heard this morning. But I want to start with verse number three of Matthew 24. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Two questions. One, when will it happen? And two, what will be the signs? And right throughout Matthew 24 and in Luke's gospel as well, you have almost like the weave of a basket where this, these two questions weave right through the passage. Sometimes he's dealing, as Jim mentioned this morning, with those events which have historically occurred with the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he's also dealing at times with those things which are yet to come. There's a question there that the disciples ask, and they say, tell us, when will these things be? And wouldn't we love to know? Wouldn't we just love to know when these things will be? So let's pick up the reading again in, in Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 24, and verse number 36. Verse number 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man being. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage unto the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will be coming of the Son of Man being. And two men will be in the field. One will be taken and another left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. He then gives, the Lord Jesus gives an illustration of two servants, which we're going to look at next week. But he picks up this not knowing the hour in chapter 25 and verses 1 to 13. 
which is our text for this evening. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, or, or ten young women. Ten young women who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there shouldn't be enough for us and you. Go rather and to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with them to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so we have this parable, well known. Let me commence by telling a story. Whenever I was working as a teacher, we had links with a school in Japan. And we used to bring sixth form students to Japan and sixth form students here to us. One of my duties was to take these Japanese sixth form students, a dozen of them, around London on a tour. None of them spoke English. Or let's put it this way, they thought they could speak English. They could easily get lost. And they came not from the main cities of Japan, but they came from a rather rural area of Japan, so they weren't familiar with life in the large cities. So I took them to interesting things like King's Cross Station to see half of a trolley parked in a wall with nine and a half written above it. Something to do with Harry Potter. I don't know what that was about. I listened to them as they complained about the fact that the traffic wouldn't stop as they went, or they tried to take photographs at Abbey Road on that famous crossing. They couldn't understand why nobody would stop and wait for them to pose like the Beatles had done so many years ago. But I said to them, listen, there's a difference between here and Japan. When the subway comes, get on it. I said, don't hang around, get on it. There was always one, always one. He thought he was different to everybody else. He could walk around with his headphones on and his phone doing strange things. And we went down one day and repeatedly I said to Shaw, Shaw, do this, do this, do that. He, hi, 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 and he just did his own thing. And one day we were down at the railway station, the tube station, and we all piled on, and Shaw was wandering along with his phone. He got to the door, and it closed. And there he is, standing in isolation on the railway station platform, looking at me, looking up and down to see if someone could help him, but the door closed. And we went off into the darkness of the tunnel. I want you to remember that picture. 
the door closed. We're looking at the parables, and we're looking at four parables. I'm taking two of them, and Danny is taking the other two. And we're looking at parables which prepare us for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at the actual words of the Lord Jesus. We're looking at what he said and what he taught about his coming. Now, can I give you a word of caution before we start? These are parables, okay? If you want to apply them to the nth degree, you will run into problems, big problems. If you want to take your eschatological point of view and plant them on top of the parable and get the parable to try to fit, it won't work. They're parables. They're there to illustrate a very significant key lesson which the Lord Jesus wanted to teach. And so therefore, if you want to apply it and go into the nth degree and the nth meaning, you will run into difficulties. But what I want you to do tonight is to look at this parable of the ten virgins, ten bridesmaids, ten young women. And I want you to notice, first of all, that they were all, all ten of them, were waiting for the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Interestingly, in this parable, the bride is never mentioned. It's the bridegroom is the focus. And all ten of them were, were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And if you remember, we, we left our series in Revelation right on this topic, waiting for the bridegroom to come. And whenever we were talking in Revelation, we talked about the differences in a wedding at that time and our weddings here in Northern Ireland or the West or any other country. It went through different phases. And I'm not going to take time tonight to go through all of that in great detail, but suffice it to say, there was a phase whenever the bridegroom or the young man would come and they would become engaged and the young man would return to his father's house and while he was there in his father's house, he would prepare the building, prepare the room and then when everything was ready and when his father decided, and I draw your attention to what we just read in Matthew, no one knows the hour, only the father, when the father decided, the bridegroom would return to collect his bride. And she would have had to wait. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to go through a wedding yet. Trust me, it's the most stressful experience of your life. I had to get socks which matched my outfit. I don't know what everybody else had to do. But here we are. This poor bride is sitting waiting day in and day out for the bridegroom to return. She has an idea of when it's going to happen. And they were all there waiting for the bridegroom. All ten of them. Ten young women. If we take the literal translation of the word, they were certainly young teenagers. Twelve, fourteen years of age. But these were not distinguishable one from the other. They were all exactly the same. When you looked at them, there were 12 or 10 young girls. They were all there. There was nothing there that said, this one's different to this one, except the parable says five were wise 
and five were foolish. Now, you wouldn't have been able to line them all up and say all ten of them, wise, wise, foolish, wise, wise, and so on down the line. It couldn't have been done. They were all exactly the same. They all looked exactly the same. But five were wise, and five were foolish. And not only that, all ten of them fell asleep. All ten of them fell asleep. And so whenever all ten of them fell asleep, they're not criticized for falling asleep. They're not told, we'll betide you because you fell asleep. No, that is not what is the problem. So what's the significance? What's, what's being taught? Well, let's go back through it. The Lord Jesus Christ is teaching a very important lesson here. He's talking about being ready. Being ready. Ready for what? Ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. And so therefore, when you look at all ten of these, the fact is that they, they, they didn't look any different. They mixed with each other. They were all together. So what's the application? As we apply this parable, and as you understand it, and as it unfolds, it's talking about people who meet together and you can't really distinguish them. I want you to think of that in the context of a church gathering, of this gathering. We all look the same, male, female, okay, we're dressed differently. We all speak, well, nearly all of us speak the same language. We all come from, nearly all of us, from the, the same background. There's nothing that really makes any of us stand out from the crowd. And that's one of the problems that this parable is dealing with. People on the surface who all look the same. And all of them believed and looked and were waiting for the bridegroom. All ten of them. You know, in a gathering like this, we can have people who say that we are looking for the bridegroom. We can have people who, who behave like they're looking for the bridegroom. We've got people who go through all the, me the mechanics of looking like they're looking for the bridegroom. What do you mean? In a group like this here, you can have people who actually behave like they are Christians. You've got people who look like they are Christians. There are people who do things like they are Christians. They come to church. They give money to the poor. They read their Bible. They pray. They're looking forward. But there's something desperately missing.
desperately missing. Because if you took the parable, half of the group is foolish and half are wise. And the reason why half are foolish is because they're not adequately prepared. They're not ready. And the other half are prepared. And that's what we'll come back to as we go through and unlock this parable. But I want you to remember that picture. On the surface, everyone looks the same. Whenever you investigate it, there's something missing, not prepared. But what about being asleep? Or when you read the commentators, you'll find various reasons about being asleep. They liken it to the church being lethargic and so on. I don't think that's the case at all. I know if I stand out in the foyer, I'm going to get many people will come up and disagree with me. But I don't think that's what the Lord Jesus is talking about at all. It's not the lethargy of it. You only fall asleep when you're comfortable. You only fall asleep whenever you're not anticipating something. You only fall asleep when everything's going all right. If you're really worried about something, or if you're anticipating something, or if you're looking forward to something, try falling asleep on the night before your wedding. You'll find that extremely difficult. So what's he saying? Well, then you go back into chapter 24. And in chapter 24, he gives a picture. And he comes back to that picture with later in the paragraph. He talks about in the day of Noah. What about in the day of Noah? He said, Noah built an ark. And the people stood around and, and they watched him building an ark. And they said, Noah, why are you building an ark? And they interrogated him. But they, they didn't believe him because the sky was blue. There wasn't a cloud on the horizon. They didn't expect anything different to happen. And then he talks about men in a field and people working and two people working, and one being taken. And I know we've got all sorts of theories about that, but what's happening? People are going about their normal business. Everything is normal. Everything is just as you'd expect it. Nothing radical is happening. And so people come to me and they ask me, and I have been asked frequently over the last couple of weeks, as Jim was mentioning this morning, what are the signs of his coming? How do we know? The Bible says, no one knows. And there are signs that are going to happen in the world, and things are going to happen. And Matthew, unlike Luke, talks about it being birth pangs, like a mother giving birth. The signs are there. But whenever Jesus Christ comes back again, everything will be normal. Don't for one moment think that you'll have big flashing signs in the, in the cosmos and in, in the environment and everything else saying, he's coming. No, the Lord Jesus Christ says it's like a thief breaking into a house at night. If you knew he was coming, you would get the guard dogs out and you make sure everything was locked. You don't. It's just normal life. But in the midst of that normal life, the bridegroom comes, which means 
He could come at any time. And you are so comfortable in the world that lies around about you that you almost couldn't go to sleep. Whenever I was younger, there was a book which every teenager read. It was called Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And everybody carried it under their arm, and we all read it because it was the signs of its coming. And I look at that book, and I think, why did I believe that? Why did I believe that? Why didn't I go to the Word of God? Why didn't I look at that? And so, time's moving on. And while they are sleeping, there's a shout. The bridegroom cometh. The bridegroom is coming. And that would fit into the picture which we described to you in January whenever we left the series. And now that we return to it. The bridegroom cometh. The trumpet call. The shout. And it always happened at night time in the old traditional ways. And the bridegroom would come with his entourage and people would go out to meet him and they would carry in their hands a torch. Now, I know you won't believe me but it wasn't a torch which had batteries in it. It was a different type of torch. It was probably more like the torches that you see sometimes sold in garden centers for you to put out in your garden at night, which has a little flask of oil and a wick on top of a bamboo pole that you can put out, which you could carry, and you could make a procession. And this torch required oil. And you had to have the oil in other words, you had to be prepared. Now, what does the oil mean? The oil takes us back into the Bible. And whenever you look at oil in the Bible, it relates to your a spiritual relationship. In other words, if you take this interpretation, you, what you're talking about is that some of them had a spiritual preparedness. They were ready. And the people who weren't prepared had no oil. They were missing the spiritually being prepared. Five were foolish. Five were wise. And they came and they said, can you... Can you, can you give me some oil? Can you share some oil? Now, the Christian thing to do would be to say, oh, sure. But you can't share it. We can't give you some of it. Because what we're talking about is not something that is just out there. This is something inwards. This is not something that you look like. This is something about you. And this something about you is the oil in your lamp. That's what makes you different. That oil refers to the relationship that you have with God. The preparedness that you have got here refers to the fact that you have got a relationship with God which prepares you for the coming of the bridegroom. You say, what are you talking about? They're all the same. They weren't. Five had oil, and five didn't. The text 
in some versions implies that these people had some oil. They didn't. The actual text says that they didn't have any oil. And five did. So what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is this. That in order to be prepared to meet the bridegroom, you need to be spiritually ready. In order to meet the bridegroom, you have got to have a relationship which is a spiritual relationship. You have got to have that oil in your life. In other words, you have got to come to that point of faith in your life or you're not ready to meet the bridegroom. Ten young women, they all look the same. They're all going through the same activity. They all are doing the same thing. But five of them are ready. And five of them are not. Because five of them have oil. And five of them don't. And the fact that they don't have oil, we're going to see is crucial in the remainder of the parable. So if this is a spiritual thing, if this oil is talking about a spiritual relationship, it can't be shared. That is why the imagery says we can't refuse it, or we can't share it, refuse to share it. It cannot be shared. You cannot inherit it from your mom and dad. You cannot even be born into a Christian country. You cannot inherit it from the church. You cannot inherit it from any of your preconceptions that you might have. You may even have been baptized as an infant. You may even have been gone to Sunday school and been brought up in a Christian home. But the oil cannot be shared. It belongs to you and only to you. Just like the five wise virgins the five wise young women had their own personal oil. So I don't know who you are or what your background, but maybe you're missing the oil. And we'll come back to that. The foolish, once they ran out of oil, there's nothing they could do about it. When the bridegroom came, the foolish could do nothing about it when the announcement of the bridegroom coming. In other words, they're at a point, a terminal point. They're at a point that they cannot change. They, they have reached this point and in time, where it's too late. It's far too late. In other words, they had to be ready before the bridegroom came. In other words, they had to be in possession of the oil before the bridegroom came. In other words, they had to have a spiritual relationship with God before the bridegroom came or else it was too late. 
because their preparation or their lack of preparation determined their destiny. Look at the two verses which I want to draw your attention to. And while they were going to buy, this is a foolish version, virgins, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Shut. The train went on. Shaw was left standing on the platform. In other words, here is the serious nature of our talk. That Jesus Christ is coming back again. We referred to, the, to that in January. We had three talks in that. We referred to the fact that he is the bridegroom. We talk, referred to the fact that we, we don't know when he is coming. It could be today. It could be 2,000 years from now. But the reality of it is, is that life will be normal. Don't think that you're going to get any alarm call. Don't think that you're going to get any signs. But when the bridegroom comes, if you haven't made the preparation, if you haven't got that oil, if you haven't got that spiritual input in your life, if you haven't got that relationship, if you haven't got a personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, when the bridegroom comes, the door shuts. What a terrifying thought. In Luke chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ develops this. He talks about a narrow door and, and a wide door. And he talks about the door being shut, the narrow door being shut and people not being allowed in and, and people being told, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. My friend, you're in a really, really dangerous position at this moment in time if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not ready. Be ready. I beg of you. Because look at the words of the Lord Jesus. The door was shut. But look at the other bed. And those who were ready went in with him. Doesn't just say, and those who were ready went in and the door was shut. It says those who were ready went in with him. This is a relationship. This whole phrase is full of nuance and, and full of meaning. It's a marriage relationship. It's the coming together of the church and Christ. They went in with him together. And the ones who had oil would spend eternity with him. And those without oil were shut, shut out.
And so our time is up. And so here's what the Lord Jesus says. Watch, for you don't know the day nor the hour. Watch for what? Look at all the prophecy books that you can read and um, watch the TV programs and look at timelines and look at charts and try to interpret this and try to work out that and say this is this and this is that and the other. Well, fine. I'm not criticizing you for doing that. But that won't tell you when the hour comes. You can look at it and read Matthew 24 and say, well, here's all the signs and they've all come together and, and they're getting worse. As Jim said this morning, they're a cycle. But it gets worse and worse and worse and culminates in what we know as the Great Tribulation, which we refer to in January. We don't know. Life will be normal whenever the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. And he says, watch. Why? Because you have to be ready. The fundamental question is this. Are you living on the strength of your own activity? What you've done? What you're doing? Who you are? Your background? Where you've come from? Your parents' faith? Even your Sunday school? Even, and I could go on. Are you ready? Have you got oil, spiritual oil in your life? Have you got that spiritual relationship where you've come to Jesus Christ in personal faith? Personal faith. Ask him to come into your life, to fill your life to give it meaning, and to be ready. Sure, whenever he was left on the railway station, I went back for him. I've never seen anybody as relieved in his life to see me walking in anywhere. But I went back and got him. You can't do that. Nobody can go back for you. Nobody can come for you. Nobody can help you. If your door, if you're not ready, and the door is shut. The solemn message it challenges us all. And next week we're going to take this and we're going to look at it from the Christian's perspective about being ready how we live and over the next number of weeks how we should behave but we need to set a fundamental foundation before we go into that study and I ask you will you be left on the platform and will the door shut let's pray our gracious God and heavenly father we thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks into this complex situation, but of the promise of his coming again.
And our Father, we know and we believe and we live in the light of his imminent return. We believe that he could come at any time. And that each of us as individuals are responsible for our action, for our relationship with you through your Son. And so, our Father, we'd ask that you would speak into the lives of each and every one of us, that we can answer the question, are you ready? That we can say, yes, Lord, I am ready. And we can look forward to his imminent return. And so, our Father, we thank you for our time together this evening and continue to bless us, we would pray, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. If you want to talk about anything you've heard this evening, feel free to talk to me or anybody else in the room who you are familiar with and want to ask questions. But it's too important a question to walk away without considering. Thank you.